right. Nice, nice to see you here in the third service. But uh, yeah, it's a blessing to be be back. We've come uh, many, many times. My uh, my wife's family is actually from Motobo, so her um, her grandparents came from there. A very typical story. Uh, Sugar uh, plantation era days, uh, and then and then stayed uh, and came from the Big Island to Oahu and settled down. The the miraculous thing is that her grandfather at seventeen got saved, and um, and then uh, at at about twenty or twenty one helped plant a, a church in uh, Kaneohe, the town that we live in, and uh, so that's been been a pretty cool you know heritage thing and stuff for for us and. Um, uh, I I don't have the time to go there, but we have this whole miracle story, you know, with Pastor Rick finding finding our family there. Basically, you usually go to a hall of records, you hire someone, you spend months, maybe you know, because all you've got is a last name, and it was a hundred and some years ago. But not us. Uh, Rick just prayed, and we we drove up and went to their house. We just went to the town and said, "Do you know these guys? Yeah, probably. Follow us." We went, and it's like, "Yeah, this is them." Wow. Are you sure? Yeah. Here's here's a picture of her her mother when she was 17 years old. Yeah, we we got the right place here. Uh, it, it was yeah, total miracle. It's a very short story, but it was it was a miracle. Yeah. But uh, anyway, lots lots of fun uh, memories here. Yeah, our church is right between the front and the back gate at, at the Marine Base, so we always have uh, uh, some wonderful military folks. I, they don't like us too much because every three years they keep moving. I, I don't understand what's happening there, but. Uh, we, we, we love having them. All right. Well, Ephesians 6, 10, we're going to, the title of the message is uh, Introduction to Spiritual Warfare. And, uh, and uh, obviously we, we can't cover uh, everything. And even when I teach through it, it's about a four part uh, just to get through uh, the entire passage. But uh, we're going to look at about just three or four verses right at the beginning. Because I think um, if you get this part, uh, the rest of it kind of falls together pretty quickly. I think this is uh, the, the concept that Paul brings out at the beginning is, um, uh, is uh, super, super important. I, I was just to say that I don't typically um, um, teach or preach in a black sweatshirt, but uh, the, I'm, I'm lined up with the AC right here. And the, uh, uh, Keegan set me up. I was... Uh, he got tired of hearing my teeth chatter in the last service. So, yeah. Yeah, I actually did something I won't have to do there. Uh, I, I'm a pulpit guy, but I was like, I was moving around and doing all this kind of, I don't do that, but uh, I was doing that to try to stay warm. And um, so if you watch that online, uh, <coughs> people in Hoyer go, wow, look at Pastor Tim. He's rocking it today. No, I was freezing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's just to clue you in. Um, but anyway, all right. Uh, to, to introduce this. Uh, I'll tell you a story about uh, a number of years ago, and I've done a couple of trips to uh, India, and uh, one of the guys that I go with is Mike Stengel, who was uh, a Calvary Chapel pastor in Hawaii, he's been to India <laughs> over 20 times, and um, we had a, uh, we were doing a, a missions conference uh, in um, in the north, in the state of Bihar, and um, and then we we had a, a flight down to Calcutta, and we had a day there. So uh, Mike's like, okay, there's two things that we got to see while we're here. <clears throat> one is Mother Teresa's ministry, uh, which we did go to, and the other one, he says, we got to go to uh, Kali's temple, which is here. <laughs> He's a really evil guy uh, and a demigod of, uh, of uh, Hinduism. And, uh, and there's a few of them uh, out there. Uh, and we had uh, some guys from southern India that had traveled with us. Uh, and uh, so we got our, our, our car and our rented driver, made the first stop. Yeah, that was, that was all great. We go to Kali's temple and Mike says, yeah, we got to go in. You got to see this because they still do animal sacrifice here. You know, so this has got to, you know, all those passages in the Old Testament, you're, you know, sacrificing, you're going to, you're going to see it, you know, uh, and, uh, and you know, this, this would be really important for you to say, uh, uh, okay, I, I was, a, I was a tinge like, uh, you know, like we're walking into the dragon's throat here, kind, you know, kind of a thing, and uh, spiritually, because we were, <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> if, if you don't think there's a few demonic uh, entities hanging out a place like that, you're mistaken. Uh, the Indian guys, they're like, N -n -n we're, we're <laughs> we know better. We're not going in there. So we had to have a little uh, Bible study uh, there uh, with Mike and his Bible on the hood of the taxi cab, uh, and it goes through some verses like, 
he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And uh, it's okay. That's good. What else you got? So we, we went through some of these things uh, and uh, I'm, I'm okay. I trust Mike anyway. And then, uh, but the Indian guys, it took them a while on a little prayer before they would walk into that temple that we know uh, is evil. And uh, uh, I, and they needed to be convinced that they are the ones who will be fearful when we walk in as men of God with God's spirit in us, they're the ones that are going to be trembling uh, when we walk into that place. And we went on in and, and uh, <clears throat> that's, that's a whole nother story. But uh, the idea that there is a, a, a demonic or a spiritual world in which battles take place in an unseen world is, is part of Christianity and part of what Paul talks about uh, here. C.S. Lewis and others who have written on this subject all say uh, a, a similar thing. There's uh, two dangers when it comes to this subject matter. One is to deny its existence. And there, I've met Christians who completely deny its existence. And the other's extreme or dangerous to become preoccupied with it. And, uh, and so everything is the fault of the devil or whatever. Uh, and every time the, uh, uh, the gate squeaks a little bit, uh, I put oil in it, but they want to cast the demon out of the gate. I know people that do this. That's right. This is a real example. So uh, Lewis and others talk about there's a danger in both those extremes. There is a balance to understand what the Bible has to say about it. And certainly we're going to try to get to that uh, balance uh, this morning. Uh, Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.3, to suffer hardships with me is a good soldier uh, of Christ Jesus. And that word uh, um, stratotasi means a warrior, literally, figuratively, a common uh, soldier, like hand-to-hand combat type of soldier. Uh, Paul says that's who we are in Christ. We come to Christ, we're saved, but then there is a, a battle at times that we must be willing to engage in. Well, again, our text is Ephesians 6, uh, verse 10 to 13. Paul writing, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God. You, you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts and wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be, may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So uh, three, three aspects of this idea of taking, taking a stand uh, against the enemy. <clears throat> and uh, in my, my line there is there's an urgency to do this. Uh, Paul is telling us. And the reason I say that is uh, it's indicated by the word finally, finally, my brethren. Now, Paul spent five chapters <clears throat> laying out some wonderful things about our relationship with Christ. You know, the idea of being seated in heavenly places, uh, what it is to walk with Christ, what it is to be saved by grace, uh, these wonderful things that uh, many of us are familiar with. But this word finally, in a sense, says finally, like that's wonderful that I've written you about all these things, uh, and that's great, but you need to get this. It's almost if you don't get this part, I'm not sure how much that other part's going to help you. Finally, now make sure that's all great, but make sure you understand this part. So that's why reason number one, there's an urgency in regards to this idea of spiritual warfare. Uh, and secondly, there's an insistence to stand in power. Uh, looking back at chapter one, verse 18, Paul writes there, uh, the eyes or that the eyes of your understanding <clears throat> being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding, notice the greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of 
his mighty power. So it's his power working in us. <clears throat> the reason that I was willing to walk into Kali's temple that day in Calcutta is because I truly believe that the power of God was greater than anything they got going on uh, over, over there. And um, it, it is so important for us to realize that because there's, uh, uh, there, there's a lot of evil that's out there. You see it in the news. You see it in the culture. If you're keeping track with things that are going on back in the United States, or you can see it here, even in the local news, uh, there are terrible things that are happening to people uh, each and every, every day. Uh, and uh, we need to be reminded it's in his power not, not our own. Paul said, it's, it's when, I'm, when I'm weak, that's when I'm really strong because I'm relying upon the Lord. But thirdly, there's a need for our involvement in the standing. Uh, and we see that in a couple of places also dealing with spiritual warfare. James in four, uh, chapter four, verse seven says, therefore submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So uh, there's something required of us. Yeah, his power is greater. Greater is he that is in us than he is in the world. If I find myself attacked spiritually by the enemy, uh, God's power is greater, uh, but there's a need for my involvement. I'm the one and only I can do it. Only I can choose to submit to the Lord. Only I can choose to resist the Lord. And one of the things that is difficult sometimes uh, is a pastor is uh, meeting with someone. They're struggling. I know there's, um, there's an involvement of the enemy against their lives, especially a, a younger or newer believer, uh, especially if they've come out of a, a background of the occult or something like that, uh, or even the dr a drug background, that uh, there's going to be a certain amount of attack against them. Uh, and they, ha I can pray with them. I can pray for them. But in the end, they're going to have to take up the name of Jesus and be able to stand against the enemy that them themselves. So there's something that we do ourselves, but it's in his power. And uh, in first Peter five, eight, Peter writes, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, resist him steadfast in the faith knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood uh, in the world. So the standing and the resisting is something that we do ourselves. So that's the, the, the first part. The second part is the idea. There's a warning against the scheme. Got a big, in my notes, a big capital definite article, the, it's uh, the scheme. And so therefore we say this, uh, the scheme is a particular plan. Verse 11, to stand against the wiles of the devil. In other words, wiles is where we get our word uh, schemes or schematic. In other words, there's a plan. Uh, the wiles of the devil is a plan against you. That's, that's not exactly good news, I realize. Sometimes we say, we say uh, to people that don't know the Lord, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> the devil hates you and he has a terrible plan for your life. And it's a very specific plan. It's not a generic plan. Uh, it's custom made for each and every one of us. I, I think it's important to, uh, to understand that. And, um, and I, I want to uh, give you a couple of examples of it. Uh, and the, the first uh, is Job. Now, Job is helpful because it, um, it pulls back the curtain, lets us see what's going on in heaven. And it starts with a conversation around God's throne. You remember, uh, God is there. Satan is there. Now, isn't that a bad idea? Say, see, if I'm God, he, he's just not there. I'm just, this is like, no, you're not coming in. But, uh, uh, but he does get kicked out later uh, in the book of Revelation. Uh, but Satan is there and God says to him, have you considered my servant Job? Now, there's a few people living on the planet at the time. Uh, and uh, uh, and, and uh, Satan doesn't go, who? No, no. He says, oh, yeah, I know Job. I know all about him. I know about his family, his wealth. I know you've blessed him. He knows a lot about him. He's been watching Job. <laughs> He's been stalking Job. He's well aware of, of Job. In fact, he says, listen, if you allow me to uh, take away his family, 
his health, his wealth, his property, and so forth, uh, then I'm pretty sure he'll, he will no longer worship you. And, and you know, there's a little, little process to all of that. God says, listen, uh, you can have his health, but no more. And, and it progresses until Job loses everything, as you remember. But um, in the end, all is restored to him. My, my point is, is that Satan watched him, knew him, knew what his weaknesses might be. And when given the opportunity, knew when to strike. Satan has a plan, a schematic, a design on each of our lives. Same thing for David. <clears throat> David, we meet as a young guy uh, when uh, Samuel goes to anoint um, uh, the new king of Israel. And uh, you remember the story that uh, uh, David's father doesn't even count David worthy to be there. Got all the other brothers there. Somebody's missing. Uh, we don't care about him. Just a kid. These are my real sons here. That, that, that's, that's problematic, right? If you're a kid, your dad doesn't really count you as a kid. Uh, and uh, so that's David. Uh, and um, uh, and then, then we meet the brothers later when David is taking supplies out to the Valley of Elah, where they're, you know, uh, on, on both sides of this big, big valley and the Philistines on one side, the Israelites on the other. And this uh, Goliath is out there every day, you know, calling him out. I'm the champion, send your champion out. And, you know, we'll... Uh, we'll engage in warfare, and if and if we win, you surrender, and if uh, if you win, we will surrender to you. Did that happen, by the way? No, no, they did. That's Satan. He just says, "Do this," and uh, they didn't surrender. But um, David uh, goes out. His brothers are mocking him, teasing him, and so forth. That, that's kind of a bad deal, right? Your your father doesn't count you as a son, and now you got older brothers, and they just kind of rip on you all the time. Not, not the best family life for, for little David here. I have to tell you, I've, I've used that message to minister to more gay men than, than uh, you'd, you'd be surprised because that, they res that story resonates with them. And the fact that somebody like that can still love God and turn to God uh, gives them hope for their lives. But uh, David uh, was out there writing the Psalms, worshiping God, uh, taking care of the sheep. And he was not vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. His attention was on God. He was trusting God. Even if a lion or a bear came, he would, he would go after them, trusting in, in the Lord. So when he faces Goliath, it's, it's just another obstacle uh, that he can overcome in the strength of the Lord. So Satan's like, not, not a good time. Not a good time to tempt David. And then we have all the years of running from Saul, hiding in the caves of, of uh, Adonim and, uh, and the, the growing uh, uh, men that, that are coming uh, to him uh, to serve and to learn to fight and so forth with him. And, uh, and Satan, again, not a good time to try to tempt David. He's just like, okay, he's just trusting the Lord and and you have the whole thing, divided kingdom. The kingdom is built. Now, you know, fast forward, uh, David is uh, in his 40s uh, in not doing what he should be doing. When in the spring, when it's time to go to war, the text says, why? Because you could feed the troops, right? You can't do it in the dead of winter. So in the spring, Joab and the boys go off to battle. And the king and that type of government is the leader of the military. David's supposed to be out there with him. He's not doing what he should be doing. He's not following the call of God on his life. And Satan goes, this is a good time. And he has, puts it in the mind of David to go up on his rooftop one night. Puts it in the mind of David to turn and cast a glance toward the home of Uriah, the Hittite. And there is Bathsheba. And Satan goes, gotcha. He waited decades because he had a schematic. He had a plan for the life of David. And Paul says, it's kind of creepy, right? That, that Satan has a plan for each of our lives and he'll wait to a time of vulnerability. No wonder he says, be aware of this scheme, be aware of the enemy and put on the full armor of God. Uh, add to that. The second part, the scheme is part of a conspiracy, a conspiracy. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness.
darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Paul uses the same language in Colossians 2, 9 to 10 and Colossians 2, 15. <clears throat> what he's saying in terms of, again, there are at one point in time, Satan rebelled against God and took a third of those angels with him. You remember that. I'm glad we still got two thirds on our side, but he takes a third with him. Those are what we call demons today are fallen, uh, fallen angels. Uh, and they are, they are in a military type ranking order uh, and, uh, and, and described so in this passage and also when Paul writes in Colossians. Uh, we see a glimpse into how they operate and their power in Daniel chapter 10. I'm going to kind of read just the, the key portion of that passage for you in a moment. Context is Daniel, of course, is the prophet, but he's also a student of prophecy. He's been studying the prophecies of Jeremiah. They're in the Babylonian captivity. God says, you're going to go into the captivity. You'll be there 70 years and I will bring you back. You will return back to the land. Daniel is reading that. He knows there's a major prophetic event about ready to happen to his people, God's people, his country. Uh, and so be, he realizes, and they are not ready they're not ready for what God is going to do prophetically uh, in the immediate future. So his, uh, he, he decides to launch many prophecy conferences. <laughs> no, actually, he doesn't. You remember what he does? He prays. Uh, he begins to fast and pray, and he prays for, for 21 days. So he's been praying for three weeks, uh, and now we have uh, the answer to his prayer. Now, as I read it, note the fact that the moment he prayed, God heard his prayer, and the message, the answer to that prayer was sent, but there's resistance. There's a battle in the unseen world that takes place. Again, this is 10.10, Daniel 10.10. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he, he said to me, oh, Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you were heard, and I've become because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I've come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. So uh, the answer is sent through an angel. But he, he is resisted by one of those principalities referred to as the king of Persia. It's not a real king. We're talking about a demonic entity uh, with that, that title. Of course, Persia is today Iran. I think he might still be there, <laughs> you know, resisting what God's trying to do. Hey, the good news is we're kind of winning on that front. Uh, there's a revival in Iran, if you didn't know. And a lot of people are getting saved because they were told if we ever have Sharia law, law, then things will be great for us under Islam, except they got it. Not so great. So they're like, what else is out there? A lot of people got open to the gospel. And, uh, and there's a lot of people being saved in Iran today, uh, despite the fact there is a king of Persia over them. Now, notice as the message has come, there is a resistance, a battle that takes place. There's also a reference to plural, kings of plural. But uh, fortunately, then, because of the battle, I think directly related to Daniel praying during that time that God then sends reinforcements. So he sends his special ops guys, a guy named Michael, who shows up and it's like, boom, he clears the way and the message gets through. And now here, Daniel, I've come in an answer to your prayer. And of course, the answer to that prayer is very fascinating. It's about the prophetic future. Our, our point is we get to see uh, uh, the curtain pulled back in the heavenlies and realize there is a, <clears throat> a connection to when we pray, uh, God sending an answer uh, in a battle that ensues as a result. And I've often wonder, what if Daniel stopped praying after 14 days? 
Does he still get the answer? Do we still get that next prophetic message? Uh, or, and I believe it's, it's tied directly. Daniel continued to pray and uh, empowered the good guys on our side, the heavenly host, to continue to engage in that battle. So the message, the prophetic message of the future came to Daniel. So it, it's uh, fascinating that we get to look into the heavenlies uh, and see what's going on there. Uh, again, I would say that uh, we are ourselves uh, kind of are in that situation today, like Daniel and uh, I love going to prophecy conference and speaking at them. So I said that tongue in cheek, uh, but that probably what would be more helpful because uh, our world, our country, our culture is, is ripe for a huge prophetic event about ready to unfold. It's called the rapture of the church. I mean, what will happen in the Middle East? Uh, will Iran completely engage? Will Russia back them up? Will Turkey get in? If it does, will we turn away? And then we have the Magog invasion, and that sets us up for moving towards the tribulation very rapidly. Uh, those, those dominoes could drop pretty quickly, uh, and the church will be raptured to be with the Lord. Are we ready? Is the church ready? See, I don't think so. As, love as, as much as I love studying, teaching on prophecy, I think I need to pray more <laughs> for, for the church to be ready for that, that event. But that's what Daniel did, not only a prophet, but a student of prophecy. One of the things that I find fascinating in regards to this whole subject of prophecy and moving towards the end times is uh, this uh, involves Israel and this idea of, of a spiritual battle. Right now in the world, uh, you have some sympathy with Israel because of the atrocities committed on October 7th, uh, because they were so horrific and so well do documented uh, that uh, even, even the the, uh, uh, the mainstream media, uh, even the United Nations was quiet for a while, <laughs> only for a while, and, and, and not condemning Israel in order to defend itself. You're kind of used to that, right? Israel gets attacked, they defend themselves, and then Israel's the one that gets uh, blamed for everything and then condemned. It's odd, isn't it? It's really odd if you, if you consider a few other things. The reason you have a cell phone in your pocket is because technology that came out of Israel. The reason that many, maybe you uh, or, or other family members were able to survive cancer is because of the medicine that came out of Israel. I could go on and on and on. If it wasn't for a spiritual entity out there causing the world to be anti-Semitic, everyone should love Israel because of everything they've done for humanity and for the world. There are hundreds of thousands of people that no longer starve in Africa because of a thing called drip irrigation that came from Israel, and they took it down there to share it with them. They share their technology for the uh, benefit of others. Every time a building, a huge earthquake uh, 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 happens and buildings collapse, you know who are the first re uh, search and rescue folks on the ground? Israel. They stand ready to go uh, at a moment's watch but you don't hear about it in the news. Why? Because there is a spiritual reality that's working against God's people and God's purposes. Uh, and uh, we need to be able to be engaged uh, in this warfare. Thirdly, this game primarily attacks our minds. This is where I want to spend the, really the remainder of, of our time. Verse 12 is very critical to understand this, where it says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood. That's not who we're wrestling. We're wrestling against principalities, powers, uh, rulers of the darkness of this age. Uh, the word wrestle means struggle. And it's in, a, in the Greek New Testament, it's the struggle is in us. We do not just, we, we struggle in us. And where that struggle is, how do we struggle in, in, in us when it comes to spiritual warfare? This thing between our ears right up here. That's my point. Most spiritual warfare is in the mind. 
That's where it all begins. That's where it happens. That's where the attack comes from. If you're tempted by Satan, it's usually <laughs> see something, hear something, but it all takes place. The temptation takes, takes place here. Uh, and um, I'll give you a couple examples of that. We'll look at them and I'll give you some solutions. But the attacks in the mind can be condemnation, doubt, fear, evil thoughts, even depression, uh, something that we really all experience from time to time. But notice how Satan affected King David to sin. This is in 1 Chronicles 21.1. Then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. How did Satan move David? <laughs> did he push him by the shoulder and go, hey, go do that? No, it, he plants a thought in the mind. Now, in that context, David was not to number Israel. He wasn't to say, uh, we, here's our fortifications. Here's how many battalions we have or so forth. So if the enemy attacks us, we got this based on our numbers. God says, don't do that. I got your back. I'll take care of you. Don't number the people. But he gets a thought in his mind. But what if? And what if? This? Okay, we better number the people. And it was terrible consequences as, as a result, an idea being planted in his mind. We see another example of this in the New Testament of Judas Iscariot. You've heard of him, right? Who betrayed Jesus. How did that come about? Well, John 13, 2 says, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. How does Judas get the idea to betray Jesus? Satan puts a thought in his mind and in his head. That's where the spiritual warfare for a lot of us, not, not 100% of the time, but a lot of time, that really is the battleground right there, what's going on in the thought life. That's why it's so important. Four examples of how the devil can affect how we think and how we feel. One, uh, I mentioned condemnation produces guilt, leaves us with a sense of hopelessness. Uh, it's very different from conviction. The Holy Spirit will convict us. I'm, I'm entertaining sin, and the, the Holy Spirit convicts me and brings me back to Jesus and back to the cross so I can be forgiven. Condemnation gets between us and Jesus and pushes us away. We do things, say things, think things we shouldn't do, and when we do, uh, maybe there's, maybe there should be some conviction, but instead Satan gets in and says, you're really not a very good Christian. You really can't believe God really loves you the way he says that he does. You can't believe that you're actually saved. And there's a condemnation when you get that. <laughs> no, that's not the voice of the Lord, right? That's a thought being planted in your mind. And yet Romans 8, 1 says, therefore, there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And in, in, in a Greek New Testament, it's similar to what we call a, a double negative uh, in the English. Uh, and it literally says, therefore, there is now and never will be ever any condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation is an attack in the mind from Satan himself, are, are one of those principalities under his control. And of course, <laughs> we've mentioned the first John 1, 9. Uh, when we are convicted, then we confess our sins. He's faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and purify. It's in the present tense. It's an ongoing process. Purify us from all unrighteousness. One of the examples is condemnation. The other one is fear. Satan threatens us with evil consequences if we trust and obey him. <clears throat> well, you know, we're thinking about doing this and being involved in this ministry over here. Oh, but what if this? And what if that? And what if this happens? And all the what ifs kind of get us. Uh, the Lord may be leading us to move over here and be involved. In but what if this? And your job and, you know, and the, the what sometimes those thoughts come in because we want to step out uh, to serve the Lord uh, and uh, 
uh, in fear can really uh, uh, envelop us uh, so much more than uh, it normally should. And yet 1 John 1, uh, 4, 4 that I mentioned earlier, greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. And 2 Timothy 1, 7, I've, <laughs> I've memorized this many years ago. I'll give you an example of why in a moment. But it says, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power of love and a sound mind, or the NIV says uh, of self-discipline. Uh, and so, uh, so important uh, that we recognize sometimes when a spirit of fear begins to overpower us, it's not a natural fear. Sometimes we wish our kids were a little more afraid when we see them, you know, climbing around and stuff. You know, there's, there's some good things to, uh, uh, to be fearful of. You know, so there's probably some guys here that jump out of perfectly good airplanes, for example, you know. There's, there should be a reason to have a natural fear over some things, but I'm talking about unnatural, uh, oppressive kinds of fears. A number of years ago, I was, uh, we were with a team and we were going to uh, take Bibles, study materials into that big country in Asia that doesn't like you doing that. And uh, uh, the night, uh, and we've, I've done it uh, on, on several occasions, and, but for some reason, I woke up the night before, before we crossed the border at about three in the morning. And uh, I felt like I had a hundred pound uh, weight on my chest and I felt kind of terrified. And it's like, <laughs> it takes me a little bit uh, to kind of come to at three in the morning, but uh, not so much. It's like, you know, instant adrenaline, like what? What is going going on? And I'm thinking, you know, where am I? What hotel am I in? What day is it? What is going? Okay, we're getting ready to cross the border. Uh, this fear that is on me. Okay, the spirit of the Lord is not one of fear. That's not Jesus that's on my chest, you know, uh, pressing down. That's the other guy. And, uh, and so I begin, I, I draw on this verse here. Now, again, Paul later will talk about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word for word, he could have used two words. He could have used logos, meaning God's word in its entirety, but he doesn't. He uses the word rhema. So that means the sword of the spirit is not God's word in its entirety. It's a specific word for a specific situation. I felt the presence of fear on me. 2 Timothy 1.7 is a pretty good verse, right? The spirit of the Lord is not one of fear. It's one of love and power and self-discipline. I was not the first time that happened to me. So I, I was glad that I knew that verse. I recognized what was going on in that hotel room at three in the morning. And I began to use that verse, recite it in my mind, realize what was happening and uh, cry out to Jesus. I was going to take my responsibility to resist the devil and submit to God. And when you do that, guess what? He goes away. It's, it's spiritual warfare, but a lot of times it happens here, uh, and uh, it has to do with condemnation. Uh, it can be fear. Uh, the third one is depression. Now, uh, everybody suffers that to some, some degree. Most pastors do every Monday morning, if you're not, you're not aware of that. It's also when we preach our best sermons, yeah, because it's like, Oh, that, that's a great illustration, Lord. Why didn't you give that to me yesterday? That would have fit perfect. But uh, anyway, we had these little middle gymnastics we all go through on Monday mornings. <clears throat> Rick was here in the first effort. He just started cracking up. See, because we know it's true. But uh, so, so, yeah, depression is something that, that uh, can affect all of us. Uh, and sometimes, not always, sometimes it's actually uh, it's a tool of the enemy uh, to attack us spiritually. And I want to make a couple of careful distinctions uh, in regards to that, but just uh, to make my point that very good and godly people suffer depression. One of them was Asap, and he writes about it in Psalm 77, verse 2. He says, In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord, my hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God. That's good. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained. 
my spirit was overwhelmed. Let's be honest, there's a few of us that can relate to that, that, that verse there. Uh, David was a guy that was obviously suffered depression. <laughs> you, 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 just, you see it in the, in the Psalms all, all, all the time, you know, but, you know, there's always that turning point, but then God, you know, and then you see everything uh, begin to, to change. Paul had his struggles, 2 Corinthians 1.8, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, which came to us in Asia that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. The Apostle Paul, a pretty, uh, pretty heavy-duty guy in terms of evangelism, a missionary, and so forth. Bible writer is like, pretty sure I think we're going to die trying to do this. So, uh, so down from, uh, from the enemy. Spurgeon, uh, the great uh, British preacher, uh, talked often about the, the depression that he fought, that he said, uh, it is so bad, I would not wish it upon my worst enemy. And it got used all of these good and godly people uh, tremendously. So to have depression as a believer it's normal. It's just normal. Uh, and, uh, but but there, there are four, at least four categories in which we can divide it. One is uh, we could be depressed and, and the cause simply could be organic. It's just a, a medical thing. It's because we don't exercise. It's because we've got really bad diets. You know, there's, there's some things that we can do to our bodies that aren't good for them. And they lead to us kind of being, being down uh, a bit. And, uh, and for those things, yeah, you can exercise, eat better and all that. And maybe you need help doing all that. And maybe you just need to see a doctor and see, see what's going on. It's, just, it's not spiritual warfare. It's just, it's just uh, a medical thing. It's just an organic thing. Secondly, uh, depression can come uh, circumstantially. It's because because, wow, if I were you, I'd be depressed too. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's like lost your job, lost your house, car broke down. You know, you can, you can have a lot happen to you all, all at one time. It was like, what, what in the world's, world's going on? I used to call a friend of mine, <clears throat> another pastor in Hawaii, see how he's doing once in a while because he was in a head-on collision. And uh, man, he had had so many surgeries, you know, and it's like, whatever my aches and pains were, I'd call him and see how, well, I got my third surgery on my knee and they're going to do that. By the time he described all of his stuff, it's like, I felt pretty good. <laughs> it's like, man, circumstantially, uh, that, that can bring depression. Sometimes it's sin related. You know, we just... Uh, compromise. Uh, we we uh, allow ourselves to be tempted and, uh, and so forth, and we fall into sin, and that can be a point of depression for the believer uh, as well. And sometimes it's a satanic attack. Now, I'm careful to point these other things out because it's, it's sometimes, and I, I, sometimes it's like, actually, there's no reason for us to be depressed, but we are. What what is, is going on? And we need to recognize, oh, okay, it's that guy, you know? Okay, what's a good verse for that? What, what, what can I find in God's word that will restore the joy of, of my soul and get my eyes back on the Lord? It's not always the case, but sometimes it is a weapon that he uses against believers. Now, again, for the cause that is organic, then sometimes it's medical and we just pursue that, that avenue. Circumstantially, often I just need to get a biblical perspective on life. Yeah, that was bad, but okay, let's think this through. God has been faithful. I think I can still trust God. God is sovereign. If he allowed that to happen, that to happen, he's got me over here in this cancer word. Probably somebody here needs to hear the gospel. And we, we just kind of uh, re-engage uh, based on what we know about God's goodness, his mercy, his grace, and his, uh, his control and desire to use my life. <clears throat> Sometimes that, that it, it helps us to talk to another brother or sister in the Lord about those things uh, or talk to someone who's been through uh, similar circumstances and come out the other side. Uh, the third uh, cause against sin, well, that's just repentance. Again, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, uh, he is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, if you struggle with habitual sin, uh, some, I've seen some guys like they take the first John 1, 9, and they take it like it's a magic wand. I just sinned this weekend. Woo! 
I just do the wand and I'm good to go on Monday morning. No, that's not the idea. It's not like, like all I got to do is say that and I'm okay. No, it's the idea that I realize I'm in sin. I realize I've sinned against God and possibly others. And I'm going to turn from it and turn towards the Lord and cry out for God and mercy that he will forgive me. And he will. And he will restore to you the joy of your salvation. If the cause, though, is satanic, then it's the spiritual weapons that God gives us that Paul details uh, in the following passage. And I gave you an example of that uh, in terms of that spirit of fear that came upon me then. Uh, and it's not, it's not the only time, uh, but it's happened because the what ifs of the future can really, really get to you. The fourth example in terms of how the devil can affect how we think and we feel is maybe the more typical obvious, and that's temptation. You know, the devil can come in to our minds, like with David, and cause or bring a thought to our mind that can lead to temptation. It's a solicitation to do evil, as with David with Bathsheba. And, uh, and we need to learn to identify uh, when that's happened. Sometimes, uh, you know, again, Satan can appear as an angel of light. It's not always so obvious initially, uh, but again, it can be uh, the woman at work that really needs your help. She's really, really seeking after God, it seems. I can be the godly guy and the ex- no, wrong. That's, that's actually called, called a temptation. We just need to be aware of, uh, uh, of these things. And when, when there's coming, uh, it, it can appear to be the solution to our financial problems, the answer to your poor self-esteem. And the list goes on and on. But we need to recognize what is a temptation and when it's happening and then not, not justify are, are going for it, our sin, uh, and so forth. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians eleven three, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, now what, notice, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Temptation can be very subtle. Uh, and when we, we fall into it, we can begin to rationalize our behavior, compromise our integrity, and then eventually disobey the word of God. All part of the scheme. So there's uh, two things. The urgency, finally, to stand. Uh, it's God's power, but we must choose to submit to him and resist the devil. And then there's the scheme, <laughs> of, of the enemy. And um, I, I hope that makes you think enough to realize, man, I don't know if I knew that before. What's the rest of that passage say? <laughs> and uh, I think I need to get this armor on right, right away. You know why? Because you do. Because <laughs> you do. It's, it's part of the, uh, the Christian experience. I, uh, one, uh, one more thing and then a closing quote. And that is, if you follow the passage all the way down and get to verse 19, Paul, Paul says, and pray for me. And uh, you'll see that once in a while. Now, a a lot of Paul's epistles, as he opens, he mentions how he's praying for them, praying for the church. I I don't think he's just saying, bless those guys over in Thessalonica. I think Paul must have spent a a good chunk of his day or morning in in prayer. But he's also asked for prayer himself. Uh, This is Paul that that marches across several continents with, with the gospel, that gets beaten to a pulp and left for dead outside Lystra and then gets back up and (laughs) marches right back into that same city the next day. You know, the shipwrecks, the beatings, the beatings with rods, the scourge. He goes through all this stuff, mentions that thing about lions, uh, you know, like to hear that story later. But uh, he goes through all that stuff and uh, maybe the greatest Christian that's ever, ever lived. And yet he says, when it comes to these things, this idea of spiritual warfare, would you pray for me? Yeah, and I think we need to say the same thing, especially if we feel like we're kind of under attack from the enemy. There's something really uh, like uh, unusual going on. Uh, that's what we should do. We should ask for, for prayer. Ask guys with guys, gals with gals. Why? Because prayer is intimate. Uh, sharing your personal experiences intimate. So, so you keep that separate. Uh, and, uh, and there's nothing greater than to find, if you're a guy, some other guys that will stand with you in prayer over the things 
things that you're going through and concern. And then, of course, you're there to, to pray for them. Uh, it's, it's, it's so important uh, in the body of Christ. And the wonderful thing is that um, uh, distance doesn't matter <laughs> because, you know, even in this church and like my church, guys, come and go, uh, uh, you know, over the years, uh, different, uh, different experiences, uh, different uh, deployments and stuff, but we can still be, you know, linked together in, in prayer. If we build that prayer, brotherhood, uh, sisterhood relationship, uh, like Paul had, uh, I think is critical to this idea of our survival, uh, but not just survival, but uh, so much more than that. And that leads to me to my uh, closing uh, uh, quote here. And uh, I, I, got, I got this line from uh, uh, attending our son's uh, um, commissioning when he uh, pinned on second lieutenant 14 years ago <clears throat> and uh, graduated and, uh, and pinned on. And we were uh, at, of course, at that ceremony. Yet, I don't know if it's always done that way, but in this one, they did a little brochure kind of a thing. All, all the guys or gals that are uh, going to pin on a little picture of them and a, a, a little quick bio. And then uh, uh, they could have a quote. So some of the Christian guys, you know, they had different Bible verses and stuff. This is not a Bible verse, but it kind of caught, caught my attention uh, and I, I hung on to it. Uh, it's written by a, a, a Greek philosopher named Heraclitus, and he lives 500 BC. If you study a little bit of warfare, it's like those Greek guys knew what they were doing. There's a reason they make movies about these guys, right? And uh, so this, this is the thing, right, within the Greek culture, this whole thing of battle. And anyway, he says the following uh, in terms of engaging the enemy. Out of every hundred men, 10 should not be there. 80 are nothing but targets. Nine are the real fighters, and we are blessed to have them for they, the battle make. Ah, but one, one of them is a warrior and he will bring the others home. That's our calling. Not just to survive Christianity, but actually be a warrior that brings others home, brings others to Jesus because our integrity and our character is always being measured or looked at. Can we survive the battle with our integrity intact? If we can, we have something to say to the culture that's around us. God's called us all to be warriors. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for, I thank you for everyone here this morning, Lord. And um, I just pray that this has been uh, helpful uh, to uh, each and every one. If anyone is struggling this morning with, with any of these things, depression, temptation, whatever it might be, Lord, we just pray uh, in the mighty name of Jesus that you would minister to them and uplift them and protect them and restore them, Lord. And uh, it's part of the reason we come on Sunday mornings to worship you, but uh, to be uh, recalibrated for the, the world in which we find ourselves living in. Lord, so we thank you for this morning. Uh, we pray, pray your blessing on each and everyone here. And we ask this in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you guys.